We are delighted to welcome back to the pulpit our dear brother, friend, Eric Rasmussen, who's been serving as a pastoral intern here since this past August, born and raised in Tanzania and with us for these months. And we've been just blessed by his ministry, and I know that you will be blessed by the word that the Lord has put in his heart to share with us this morning. So would you please join me in welcoming Eric today? Good morning. It's good to be with you guys again this morning. I'm honored to be asked again to speak. When Pastor Jim asked me, I was, I was, I had one message that I was planning on giving, and then um, it's like I was, I was planning on giving it, and planning on giving it, and but I just couldn't write it out. It, it just wasn't coming, and so I was, I was really praying and asking God, like God, what's going on? This hasn't happened very well. This hasn't happened very often before. But so I was just praying about it, and and like I was going one direction, and God completely took me another direction, and so. But I mean, this has been one of the most difficult sermons to, to fit together. Um, so we'll see how it turns out. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I really feel like this is the direction that God wanted to go, and, and I'm really excited uh, to share with you guys this morning. Anyway, I've been working out. Um, and uh, before, before I got married, I used to work out a lot. But uh, then I got married, and it was kind of like, well, what's the point, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, well, I used to work out so that girls, you know, would look my way, you know, but now it's like, well, what's the point? But, but at the same time, before I got married, I was always like, I'm, you know, when I get married, I am not going to go the course of the average man, you know, where just your, your, you know, all your bulk just kind of shifts down. And just kind of hangs out in the middle, as Pastor Jim calls it, a well-balanced man who's got all of his weight in the middle, <laughs> bubble in the middle. <laughs> but anyway, but so I, you know, I, I was like, I am not going to let that happen to me. But I was just kind of coasting, you know. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to work out this afternoon. I'm going to work out this afternoon. Bethany would get home from work. And I'd be like, let's just cuddle. So <laughs> it's just let's just sit around. Um, but. Then I was like, you know what, I got, something's got to change. Something's got to change. So I went online, and I found a rugby team, okay, a rugby team that plays here in St. Paul. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to join a team because then I'm going to have some accountability for staying in shape because I don't know, you guys probably don't know a whole lot about rugby, but rugby, it's an intense sport. There's tackling, and it's like American football, but no pads, and you don't stop every time someone gets tackled. You just keep going. Okay, so it's, it's, I mean, you have to be in pretty good shape. And, um, and so there's accountability. It's like, you know what, these guys standing on either side of me, when this guy's running at me with the ball, they're relying on me to tackle this 250-pound-plus guy. Okay, I have to do this. If I don't do it, this guy's just going to break through and score. He's going to actually get a touchdown. In rugby, you have to touch the ball on the ground, which is why... It's actually called a touchdown. In American football, it makes no sense. You just get over the, you get over the end zone, and you're like, I, t- I made a touchdown. Spike it on the ground. <laughs> but <laughs> that's why they do that, because they feel like they should at least, you know, touch it on the ground. Anyway, but, <laughs> so, but I knew that in order to win, in order for our team to win, everybody on the team had to be in good shape. And you, you've always got these guys who, you know, they don't, do any fitness 
I know, like, have you ever, did any of you guys play high school sports? There's like those people who, you know, until, until the, the season starts, they haven't walked a mile, okay? And then, and then the season comes around, and they're like, all right, I'm ready to go. And then you, you start just doing, like, simple fitness drills, like run around the field one time, and they come back, and they're just like, ah! And it's like, you got to work on your fitness before the game starts, okay? So we've been doing this series on growing maturity. And, um, and what does winning look like for us as a church? What is our motivation for staying fit? Because if your motivation is, is like mine was for staying fit spiritually, in fact, I think a lot of times in churches we, we actually have this motivation. It's like, it's like I want to be f- f- spiritually fit, and you do it for posturing's sake. You do it for more for form over function. It's kind of like I'm going to be spiritually fit, I'm going to be spiritually mature, so when people look around at me and they're going to see a spiritually mature person, and we do it for form rather than for function. And, and there, there is an aspect to it where it's like, yeah, you need to be spiritually fit for the, for, you know, because God calls us to it. But he calls us to it for a purpose. He calls us to it for a purpose. In Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now the word there for perfect, okay? I'm not, I'm not contradicting what Tom said earlier, okay? The word there for perfect is teleos, okay? And it basically means able to function or functioning well, okay? Or, or fulfilling that which it was created for, okay? That's perfection. When we're fulfilling what God has created us to do, that's the definition of perfection, right? You know, my, my dad... <laughs> Out in Tanzania, we had rats, and my dad was in a constant war trying to kill these rats, and he tried all sorts of poisons. He tried, I know, it's barbaric. He tried poisons. He tried rat traps of every kind. Finally, he found this one rat trap, and it, it's just like a box with a little wire thing, so when the, the rat or mouse goes in it, it just like catches it by the neck and kills it, and it's kind of gruesome and violent. But this mouse trap is Telios, it's perfect. It actually works, okay? I mean, if you look at this thing, it doesn't look like your average mousetrap, and it looks kind of ludicrous. It looks ridiculous, but it's perfect. It functions in the way that it's supposed to function. So what is our function? What are we working towards in this journey of spiritual maturity? If you go over, um, actually, let me read... In, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read two verses real quick. First, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 14 and 16. Jesus, 14 through 16. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, okay? Now, it's funny because in some places, Jesus says, let your works shine before men, and in other places, he says, don't do, any, don't do your good works in front of men, you know? But he's really talking about the heart motivation. He's talking about fun- form versus function. Are you doing your good works in front of people just to be seen, or are you doing it for the purpose of encouraging them to glorify the Father? 
We are called to do our good works before people so that God, so that God can receive glory from that. Okay? And not only that, but I, I specifically want to talk about a specific group of people today that I feel is God's, it's God's heart for good works to be done in front of them. Um, if you go with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul, talking about his own life to the Thessalonians, he says, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. Uh, I'll start in verse 4. For we know, brothers loved, by, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came, came to you, not only in word, but also in, the power, in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Okay? So Paul here, he's saying, I conducted myself in a certain way when I was among you for your sake. Not just for my sake, not just for the sake of posturing or, or for the sake of looking perfect, okay? You know, honestly, sometimes the greatest witness that you can have before people is just admitting that you have faults, admitting that you make mistakes, because their idea of Christians is a bunch of hypocrites who never admit when they have, make mistakes. Sometimes just admitting, man, I messed up, you know? I, I, and, and that's even an awesome opportunity to, to share the gospel with someone. Um, just admitting, you know, I mess up. You know, I make mistakes. That's why I'm so glad that I have a Savior who, who, who can save me from my own mistakes. Um, and so Paul, he's saying, he was, he was amongst these Thessalonians, okay? Now, Thessalonica, the, before Paul got there, hadn't really heard the gospel. In fact, they hadn't heard the gospel at all. And, and do you know what? In the world today, uh, researchers say that as much as one-third of our world has never even heard the story of Jesus Christ. In fact, people's, uh, researchers tell us that one in uh, every day, about 66,000 people die without ever having heard the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And to me, that's, that is shocking. That is hard to hear. That 66,000 people die every day without ever having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I just want to give you a quick picture, okay, of the God that we serve and, and how his, his vision, his goal is always taking the gospel from a group of people, an insulated group, and jumping it over to another group of people. It's just like if you watch the gospel throughout history, this is how it moves. It gets into a group of people, the gospel spreads within this group, and all of a sudden it jumps to another group of people and it spreads again within that group. And, and God is just, he's on this mission worldwide, okay? He's on this mission just to go from group to group to group to group. It's like a fish jumping from bowl to bowl, except fish can't actually do that. But, but it's like, <laughs> but it's just, he's going from group to group to group, and this is his goal, and this has been his goal from the beginning. So often, so often when we think of missions, we think of, you know, the, the Great Commission in the New Testament, and we think that's where it all started. But I, I just want to read you guys a couple of Old Testament passages just so we can get an idea of this is, has been God's goal from the beginning. If you go to Daniel chapter 7, okay? Daniel chapter 7, here Daniel gets a vision of Jesus Christ, okay? 
And, uh, and this is one of the visions that Jesus referred to the most. He called himself the Son of Man. And that's where this, this, uh, this term comes from. I saw in the night in visions. Uh, I saw uh, ver- chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So even here in the Old Testament, there's a prophecy about Jesus. And it's saying not only is he going to deliver Israel, he is going to rule over nations it says every nation every group of people every language okay they're going to be serving him so this is god's vision god is a god is a god who created every people okay from him all peoples come so it's not it's not fitting that he be just the god of one group it's it's fitting and it's glorifying to god that he be the god of every group of people um Let's jump over to Isaiah chapter 66. And this is one of my favorite passages. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 18 through 19. (coughs) This is such a, this is like the clearest, this is like the Old Testament prophecy about the Great Commission. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. To Tarshish, to Pool, to Lud, who who draw the bow. To Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away. That have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. That is just, that's just, that's the description of missions right there. It's one of the clearest descriptions of mission that I've seen in the Old Testament. It's just, they're going to declare my name and declare my glory before these people. To a people who have not seen my glory or even heard my name, they're going to go to these far-off places. And the places that they mention, Tarshish, was, that was Spain. That was considered like the end of the world back then, okay? It was like, you go all the way to Spain, that's it. There's nothing past that. You're going all that way out there, okay? So he's saying people are going to go to every people group, to the four corners of the earth, and seek people who have not yet heard my fame or seen my glory. This is God's heart. He, he wants this. He longs for this. And if you think about it, this is the, this is the goodest thing about God, okay? <laughs> the good news is so good, it's too good for one group of people, okay? And, but the problem is, so many times, we, we get to this point where we're like, oh, God is doing such good things among us. And we just kind of stop there. Like, you know, we receive the gospel. And if you look at church history, it happens over and over and over again. You know, a group of people, they get the gospel and they're like, that's, that's good enough, you know. You know, and we'll, we keep spreading the gospel amongst our own, our own group of people, you know. We, and we get focused, and it's just human nature. Human nature is to just become introverted. Whenever you get a group of people together, whether it be a small group or whatever, 
it, the, the group always tends to look in. We always do. And the danger is, you know, when, especially when God is moving, <laughs> the danger is to think this is it. This is where God is moving. This is what God is doing. And, and, and to just focus on this one spot. I just want to jump over with you guys to Acts chapter 8, okay? And this, again, this, is, this is such a cool story to me. Here is the story of Philip, okay? Now, in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, a great missionary, but Saul, at this time, he's a, he's a, a member of the Pharisees, and he starts persecuting the church. I mean, he starts going to town on them, and they just run for their lives, okay? The, the, the church, they just spread out all over the place because they're just trying to escape persecution. Well, this turns out to be one of the best instruments for missions because church runs away, and everywhere they go, they start spreading the gospel. And here, and here we find the story of Philip in, in, in Acts chapter 8. He goes to Samaria, which that's a step in itself. You know, He's gone to these Samaritans who... At the time, the Jews really didn't like the Samaritans, okay? They're just, they're just you know, dirty pigs, and they, they just, they don't, they're not God's chosen people. In fact, back in history, the Samaritans were, were, were Israelites who had bred with the Assyrians, okay? So the, the Jews thought that was like the worst thing ever, okay? That you would, um, that you would compromise your testimony and, and, and intermarry with the Assyrians. And so, but, but Philip goes there. And he starts sharing the gospel with them, and a revival breaks out. And the, the apostles back in Jerusalem hear that the Samaritans are accepting the gospel, and they're like, we need to send someone over there to find out what's going on. Okay? We need to make sure this is legit. And so they send, they send um, Peter. Uh, they send Peter and John. And when they get there, they see that the Holy Spirit is really moving. He is really doing stuff. Now, a lot of us, we would say, hey, there's a revival going on, and we would camp out there, right? And I mean, I mean, think about it. If there's a revival going on, even in the U.S., we, we don't just camp there. We run there, okay? Something happens, and we're like, I'm there, all right? <laughs> you just go, we, we go towards a revival, like a moth running towards a fire. We just go towards it, okay? And, but Philip, miracle of miracles, it, this is just the coolest thing to me. In the midst of this revival happening, in the midst of all of these great things happening, an angel comes to Philip. Look at verse 26 with me of Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he just throws in this little tablet, this little uh, extra, extra bit here, the writer of Acts, Luke. Throws in this little bit here. He says, this is a desert place. Okay? So Philip is in the middle of this revival, and, in, and an angel comes to him in the night and says, hey, I want you to leave this revival right now, and I want you to go hang out in the desert. What? No, that is so counterintuitive to how, to how we live our spiritual lives, right? If there's a revival going on, no, no, I rebuke you, Satan. You know, get away from me. There is something good going on here. I need to stay here. But God had a bigger vision. God, was, God wasn't content with just the Samaritans hearing. He's like, okay, the Samaritans have heard now. They're going to spread the gospel within their, within their people group. Philip, I've got another job for you. Philip, there's somebody that I want you to meet. 
So Philip goes out to the desert to hang out with the lizards and the snakes out there, and he's just kind of walking along, and, and then he hears the Spirit tell, and then he sees this chariot going by. And on this chariot, and how many of you guys know that before you even get to someone to share the gospel with them, God's already been working on their hearts. And, and so he sees this, Ethiop, this Ethiopian riding in a chariot, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Okay? Now the Ethiopians, they had been, there was a bunch of God-fearing Ethiopians at this time. who They would go to Jerusalem. He was coming down from Jerusalem just then. So he had been in Jerusalem worshiping. But Philip sees this guy and he's like, oh. The Holy Spirit says to him, go, go walk alongside of that chariot. So it says, Philip ran, okay? He's not just walking and casually strides up to the side of this chariot. He's like, oh, there's a chariot over there? And he just starts running alongside of this chariot. Because how many of you guys know horses walk faster than people, okay? <laughs> so he's running alongside of this chariot, listening to what this guy is reading. And in verse 32, it says, um, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his, humili- in, his, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And, and, uh, and Philip is like, oh, this is perfect. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy is like, no, I don't understand it unless someone explains it to me. How am I supposed to understand? So he invites Philip to get up on, up on the chariot with him, which I'm sure Philip was grateful for, not having to run anymore. But he's, he's up on the chariot, and he's just, he just describes it to him. And he shares the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch. And, and, and you learn from church history that this Ethiopian eunuch actually went back to Ethiopia. And he starts telling people about Jesus. Okay, He starts telling people about Jesus, and, and the gospel spread in Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was actually the first nation to declare themselves a Christian nation. Because... The gospel just, it was like wildfire. It just spread so quickly. But what would have happened if, if Philip had said, no, no, God is working here. I need to stay here. This is, this is, what, this is where God is working. And, and, and he would have just missed that whole opportunity. And this, okay, this was a super hard message for me to, to, to wrestle with because there, God is doing some awesome, awesome things in Bethel, okay? I mean, we have international ministry going on just within the walls of this church. You know, there are, there are people groups from all over the place within this church. But we have to look even higher. We have to look even further. We can't just, we, we can't just be content with just our little group our little family of churches. I'm not saying that God is not doing awesome things. In the Himalayan congregation, in the Korean congregation, and all these other congregations, there is awesome stuff happening. People are getting saved left and right, okay? It is awesome stuff happening, but we can't just look down. Pastor Jim has this awesome saying, it's, it's we exist for those who are not yet here. But even more than that, we exist for those who are not yet on their journey towards him. Okay? Even if they never end up here, we exist for people to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And it will happen. God is hard at work in the world making sure that people hear his gospel and know him. 
I was just, I was, oh man, I've been on, I've been, my mind has been blown this week. I was just reading this article written by a guy um, who, he spent years traveling throughout the Islamic world, okay, going from Muslim country to Muslim country to Muslim country, researching basically church movements amongst the Muslim people groups, okay, where whole, like, and, and his requirement was he was only going to places where there had been at least a thousand baptisms or at least a hundred churches planted amongst Muslim people groups, okay? And most of these people groups, I mean, they're getting saved without any help from humans, okay? <laughs> it's like, it's like they get a vision or a dream. In one case, the whole village, every man in the village had the same dream, okay? That this guy came to them and was just declaring to them all the ten ways that Muhammad broke the Ten Commandments. And so, and all of the men in the village get the same dream, and they're just like, well, we got to follow this guy Jesus, because he apparently knew what he was talking about. So, like, I mean, there's revival taking place all over the world. In Africa, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit hung up on Islam because I've been doing a little research on it. In Africa, every year, six million people leave Islam and become Christians. In Indonesia, the country with the largest Muslim population, every year two million Muslims leave Islam and become Christians. There is something crazy happening in the world right now. In the last 15 years, okay, more Muslims came to Christ than had come to Christ since the beginning of Islam to the year 2000. Okay, that is, there is just something incredible happening even just in that one group. And, and, and one, one in six, okay, in America, only one out of every six non-Christians knows a Christian. That's if you, that's if you, if you take out like people who used to be in the church, like agnostics and, and people who have become atheists and stuff. If you take those people out, one in six people, okay, we have this huge group of Somalis here in the Twin Cities, Somalis and Ethiopians, who there's a large percentage of them who are Muslims. And, and it was funny because Bethany, <laughs> Bethany and I were at Cub Food just the other day, and, um, and I saw this group of Ethiopian guys. I didn't know they were Ethiopian at the time. I just knew they were some, some African group. And so I decided to go buy a mango, okay? So I'm just like, I go over, I pick up some mangoes, and I'm like, have you guys tried these? Because I'm from Africa, and I don't know about these mangoes here in America. And, and so I'm just asking their opinion on mangoes in America. Okay? And that led to, I mean, something that we don't understand about African culture is these people are, they just want relationship. We're, Africans are so high on, on the relationship scale. Okay? So, I mean, you can start a relationship with these people. Don't be afraid. I remember one... one um, one testimony that I heard was this, this guy who was working in Somalia, okay? He had gone as a missionary to Somalia from East Africa. He was in East, I think he was Kenyan. He was a Kenyan guy, went to Somalia. And while he's in Somalia, in the middle of the night, this, this, Muslim, um, this Muslim priest or Shea, he comes in and he's like, is it true that Jesus' blood can wash away all of my sins? Yes or no? And the guy is just like, yes, it's true. And the Muslim says to him, you lie. Because I have done terrible things. You don't know the things that I have done. And so the guy just takes out his Bible and he just starts, he just starts talking the guy through the gospel. 
the guy breaks down and just starts weeping and crying. And, and, and as he's leaving, as he's stepping out the door, the guy turns around and the, the Muslim shaheed turns around, well, the Christian now, turns around and says to him, he says, you're afraid of us, aren't you? And, and the missionary kind of got quiet for a second and said, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am afraid of you guys sometimes. And, he, and this former Muslim, he says, that's what we want. We want you to be intimidated and afraid of us so that you won't try and preach to us. But inside, we are broken and empty people. We are broken and empty people on the inside. Guys, there is a world out there full of broken and empty people who maybe they want you to be afraid of them. And maybe we are afraid of some of them. But they're broken and empty and they just need the gospel. They just need to hear. And my, my only exhortation today or call today is just lift your eyes. There is a huge, huge harvest out there. And people just need to hear the gospel. There are gr- entire tribes, entire groups of people in this world. Almost half of the tribes or people groups in this world don't have a church amongst them that can reproduce itself. Maybe they have a dependent church amongst them, but they don't have a church amongst them that can reproduce itself and reach its own people. Almost half the people groups in the world. That is huge. Guys, there are people out there, they just need to hear the gospel. And, and my call today is, in, in, our, in our, our journey towards, towards growing maturity, this is such a big piece of it. A big, you know, a big piece of when you're growing up is realizing that the world doesn't revolve around you, right? <laughs> it's one of the things that's the hardest thing to teach kids. Because when you're a kid, it's like, my needs, my needs, me, 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 okay? And, and a big part of growing spiritually mature as well is realizing that we are not it, <laughs> you know? The church is huge, and the world is huge. And we, I mean, it's going to require maturity to reach them. It's going to require mature giving. It's going to require giving of our time, giving of our lives. In church history, about 200 years ago, there was what was called the student missionary movement, um, where (laughs) tens of thousands of students from England went to Africa and Asia and other parts of the world to bring the gospel. And these guys, I tell you, they laid it all down. There were... (laughs) These students would actually pack their clothing into coffins because when you went to Africa, your average life expectancy, once you got there, was about two years. So they would, rather than, you know, buying a suitcase and a coffin, they were just like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, they're very pragmatic. It's just like, hey, I'll just pack all my stuff in a coffin. And then once I get there, they don't have to build me a coffin, just bury me in this. But can you imagine? I mean, just imagine. Like today, it's, it's hard to even imagine that kind of sacrifice. We live in, such a, in a culture that is just so, everything is so convenient. And we even expect evangelism and missions sometimes to be so convenient. Guys, it's costly. It's costly, but it is so, so beautiful and so, so worth it. 
I've, I had the privilege when I, when I was living in Africa, um, me and my siblings, we, we did missions to an unreached people group. And it was, I tell you, it was incredible. I mean, our first research trip, it was me, my brother, and two other guys, and we rode bicycles for three weeks, just going from village to village, just researching this unreached people group, just trying to find out if there were any churches amongst them that we could work with. Just, it was incredible, okay? One of the hardest three weeks of my life, physically. It was before I started working out. But, <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was just intense. But then five years later, five years after, after all this work, I was sitting in a church pastored by a Tongwe man, <laughs> this unreached people group, pastored by a Tongwe man, listening to a Tongwe choir singing in their native tongue singing praises to God, a people group that up until this point, we can't tell that there was ever a choir singing to God. I mean, they had choirs, but they w- it would be for satanic worship, for satanic rituals. But just sitting there listening to them sing to God, I just cried. It was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen, ever experienced. And guys, there are people out there, there are groups of people Entire tribes that don't know, that don't know the good news that we have. And unless we go, unless we partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing, they're destined for hell. I think of Musa. He's a good friend of mine now. He's actually, he was the pastor of this church. And he lives now. His whole goal is just to make Christ known amongst other unreached people groups in Tanzania. That is what he lives for. Guys, the church, ultimately, this is our mission. This is our purpose on the earth. We exist Yeah, the church, it has lots of structures for helping us to grow mature, helping us to to grow up. But the ultimate goal is that we would not just grow up, but that we would go out. That we would go out to all the world and bring the gospel to all of the world. Go with me just real quick to Revelation chapter 7. And this is going to be the last scripture I'll read. (laughs) Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. This is the most beautiful thing to me. It's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen, no matter how hard it looks or how hopeless it might seem. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to the God of the white man. No, to our God. These are people who, they're saying, this is our God. This God, he belongs to us. Not just to one group of people, but all of them collectively saying, Salvation belongs to our God. God. Guys, that's what we're living for here on earth. That's why we're still 
here on earth. We're growing mature in how we use our finances and how we use our time and how we even pray. We are growing mature so that we can ultimately one day be standing there in this group of people worshiping with people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue and saying salvation belongs to our God and salvation has come to every group of people. God bless you guys. Thank you, Eric. I want to give you a testimony that is from yesterday that'll put an exclamation point on what Eric just shared with us. So Friday night, there were about 350 people here to get trained by Revive Twin Cities because there's a goal of raising up 10,000 laborers this summer to go out into the Twin Cities to share the gospel. Saturday, there was about 200 folks who gathered to go out in teams right here in St. Paul. So I had the privilege of going out Saturday morning with Jeannie Swenson, Noel, and Kathy Ernst. Some of you remember Kathy. Keith and Kathy were here for the training. We had maps, and we went out to pray with, to pray with folks and perhaps to have opportunity to share the gospel. Our map took us from right here down Portland Avenue to Snelling, and then we went up Snelling to Selby and Selby down to Fairview and then back on Selby and down Snelling and back here for so two hours, we were out. Over that time, we prayed for 8, 10, 12 different folks who we just met on the street. We were coming back on Selby, and uh, there was a laundromat. And uh, so Kathy and, and uh, Noel went into the laundromat, but it was not handicap accessible, so Jeannie and I weren't able to. So we just went down, and we thought, well, one, we thought we'd go down where there was sun, because uh, we were freezing by that point. But we went down to the sun, and there was a man on a phone. And we're like, OK, can't disrupt him yet, but we're going to wait. And he got off the phone, and we said, um, we're just out here in the neighborhood, and we're praying for folks. Would it be OK if we prayed for you? And he said, I, I don't understand. He was from another cultural background. He didn't, couldn't understand what I was saying. And so I just went like this. I said, pray. He said, no, no, no. Shaman. I said, okay. I was just like, okay. <laughs> All right. He says, my daughter, she can. So Kathy and Noel came out, and a moment later, an eighth grade young girl came out. Her name was Mina. We explained what we were doing and said, we pray for you, we pray for you. And then I said, well, we'd like to give you something. We have, a, we have a wristband we'd like to give to you. And I said, do you notice anything about this wristband? And she said, well, there's writing on it. I said, do you know what that is? And she says, no, I have no idea. So on this simple wristband are scriptures, starting with Romans 3.23 and then 
you know, going through Romans 6.23. It's just the Romans road in Ephesians. Very simple. He said, do you know anything? Have you, do you have a Bible? Have you ever? No, I've, I've never. Have you ever been, never been to church? Never been, never, ever had any connection whatsoever. So I said, well, this yellow, he said, would it be okay? Would you just like to read this? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How about this next? Let's look at the black. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what wages are? No. Do you know what sin is? No. We talked about that, grace. Let's go to the red. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Walked through that, and then we went to the the next to the white in Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace you are saved through faith it's not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not by works so no one boasts, you can't do anything but receive this gift it's a gift to receive and then the green if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation and then we prayed. And we prayed a prayer of salvation with Mina. Now I know I've been around a long time. I understand there was a there's a process beginning. There's a seed going in, but she's reading these verses. I'm not reading these verses. She's reading the Bible verses. And she's hearing the gospel. And she's six blocks from here. Eight blocks from here. She's never heard. So you're thinking Eric's talking about unreached people groups, and we do need to lift our eyes. And absolutely, and I, I, I want to emphasize that what he has shared is absolutely what the Lord, in the Lord's heart for this house, for there are people all over the world who've never heard. And there are people next door eight blocks away in a laundromat we've never heard. So, you know, it takes, it's, you know, stepping out. And, you know, I've been at this a long time. I've done a lot of prayer walking and things like that. I still have to, every single time, I have to gird up my loins and say, okay, gather myself up and say, okay, I can do this. It's not, you know, I'm not a born evangelist. I'm a pastor who God has called to be a witness, just like he's called every one of us to be a witness. So I want to encourage you. You're going to be finding out more about Revive Twin Cities opportunities. These folks are wonderful. This is a really simple tool. It's just a tool. There's a lot of good tools out there. But the biggest thing is to kind of move us out because that's how you mature. You know when you you know you've reached maturity when you are able to reproduce. And God wants us to reproduce as a house. We're going to reproduce more congregations. We're going to reproduce. We're going to God's going to I think from Eric's word today and I want to hear this and and declare I believe the Lord is going to raise up and put unreached people groups on some of your hearts. 
and he's going to raise up workers to go, laborers to go to unreached places. I believe that with all my heart. I don't think he's calling us to keep raising up apprentices every year. You know, those apprentices are going out. Some of them are going out. Tina's heading out this summer. She's heading to Thailand and to places beyond, right? Southeast Asia, where where God, where it might end up being, okay? God's, he's going to send our best out, and we're going to go, yay, <laughs> right? Because that's his heart. That's his heart. So think of the minas. I mean, this is a real concrete thing. Okay, this young woman, I mean, just my heart just went, <laughs> with this young woman, with a shaman dad. And shaman dad came over, and he was looking, you know, I'm reading, and he's coming over, and it looks like he's about ready to and bless Kathy Ernst. She's just standing behind him, praying up a storm that God will just, so that he won't step in and snatch away before him. Thank God. All right? And, of course, Jeannie Swenson, she's got no fear. She's, like, ready with the, with her chair to, you know, they're, they're trying to get away, and she's going to block them, you know. She, talk about running to the chariot. She's like, <laughs> she puts it up in another gear, you know. There ain't nobody that Jeannie's not going to talk to, all right? Come on. <laughs> I love her. She's fearless. Oh, boy, she's fearless. Thank God. Jesus. Here's what I want to ask. If you'd just stand your feet and open your hands, I'm going to ask the Lord. For you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power, sound mind. You've given us a spirit, Lord, to, Lord Jesus, we will not be held back by the fear of man or fear, doubt, or unbelief, but God, you are going to raise up in our hearts. You're going to whelm us with your love and your power, Lord Jesus, to break through the inhibitions in our own hearts. Lord Jesus, some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, some of us are, are brand new believers, some of us have been believers a long time, some of us have many people that we're interacting with, some of us know no one, but God, you are going to begin to bring into our lives those, God, I believe right now, Jesus, that you're going to begin to put into our hearts people, Lord Jesus, and you're going to put into our hearts even people groups. God, you're going to bring into us now, Lord God. You're going to awaken in this house, Lord God, a movement of maturity that will multiply itself out into a world desperate and needy for you. So, Lord, I pray that you'll come and raise that water level of your spirit right now, God, among us. Lord Jesus, just open your hands. Lord Jesus, I just pray, God, right now that, Lord Jesus, you would deposit like a burning coal in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Place it in our hands. Place it upon our lips. Place it in our hearts where we, like Isaiah, say, here I am. Send me. I'm willing. I'll go. Jesus, come and begin to do this work in us, Lord God. Whatever our gifts 
Whatever our abilities, Lord Jesus, God, you want to take us. And Lord, you want to use us, not just individually. You want to send us out in teams together, Lord God, as a house. So Lord, I pray that you would do this work in us now. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would deposit something today by your word and by your spirit that will not return void, but that will accomplish that which you have sent it forth to do. So Lord Jesus, I pray for a fire to fall in this house today, a fire of evangelism, a fire, Lord, for calling forth the nations. In Jesus' name, come, do your work. Raise it up, Lord God, by your Spirit. Sovereignly come in Jesus' name. Let's sing this prayer, and then I'll give a benediction. But please stay and sing this prayer with me right now. Keep your hands open for the benediction this morning. Lord Jesus, we have heard your word today. And our hearts leap to respond and say yes. And yet we also know ourselves. But God, you're greater than our hearts, so we invite you to come in and, and continue that which you have begun to awaken today in us. And that that seed, Lord, would grow and that much fruit that will remain will come forth out of the seed of your word planted in our hearts this day. And now as you go, may you go filled afresh this day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down each day. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you, people of God. Amen.